Ingram Smith here for the Nolcast solo episode today. Uh, in fact, I'll make this a, a fairly short one. Uh, before we get into it, I'd like to thank Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and a uh, title sponsor for the podcast that uh, we could only be so lucky and fortunate to work with. So as always, want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, and appreciate all the support that they have lended uh, to this project, and uh, without them, the Nolcast wouldn't be what it is today. So, Bud and I had planned on getting up this morning, having a fairly uh, early episode of the Nolcast, and looked at a couple different things as far as uh, recent developments about the program, and uh, we're going to start our individual previews of the teams that make up Florida State's 2019 schedule. Today, we were going to look at Virginia. I uh, started getting text messages around 5.30 in the morning from Bud, and uh, the last one was something about the fact that he had added notes to the shared document that we've worked off of for the past uh, 10 years or so. And uh, I kind of looked at this in a daze at 5 o'clock in the morning, honestly said a couple expletives uh, about my friend and business partner and how eager he was to talk about Virginia and uh, went back to sleep for an hour or so. And it's only now, as I kind of gather everything and look at the full text exchange, that I see that my friend and business partner and uh, lovely wife have uh, have <laughs> uh, gone to the hospital to uh, hopefully start the, a series of events that uh, uh, will lead to exciting news that I'll ultimately stay slightly ambiguous about uh, for numerous reasons, but uh, look forward to hearing more from Bud and uh, uh, just a, a lot of excitement for he and Maggie and uh, love both of them, send them my best and uh, look forward to hearing more news from them. So uh, here's to you, Bud Elliott, and I take back all the mean things that I said about you this morning when you were murder texting me at uh, five o'clock and I miss uh, misinterpreted it for a little bit of over eagerness to talk about the Cavaliers. So talk real quickly here about uh, Florida State Baseball. They are in the Athens Regional, uh, if you aren't otherwise familiar. Uh, not the season that uh, anybody that wears garnet and gold would have hoped for. Uh, it's been a, a real frustrating year uh, for the baseball program. At times, there was a, a little bit of legitimate doubt as to whether or not the postseason uh, would even be in play for them. But uh, Martin and his team find themselves uh, traveling up to Athens for a, a fairly challenging uh, regional, and if they were to advance from said regional, uh, we will certainly uh, keep you updated and uh, try to provide as much information uh, around the baseball team as they uh, bring about in the end of a uh, exceptionally historical career, and we will see what the, the final days of uh, Florida State baseball program led by Mike Martin looks like. So, the uh, the biggest news that uh, Bud and I had planned on speaking of this morning as far as recent developments is uh, the fact that Landon Dickerson has uh, yet again added himself to the transfer portal. Um, I almost wish I could cut and paste what I had said about Ed Dickerson in the past podcast where he's a, he's a very talented player, win healthy, he's far and away Florida State's best offensive lineman. He's one of the few pieces on that offensive line that, again, you have to preface it uh, with when healthy, uh, could could play at a vast majority of the schools. Uh, would he start? Would he play in Alabama? Would he play at Georgia? No, probably not. Would he play almost everywhere else? Yeah, 
Yeah, for the most part. Uh, again, uh, not necessarily talking about uh, walking in and starting for Ohio State or major programs like that, but Landon Dickerson is a legitimate uh, D1 offensive lineman, and that is a commodity that Florida State does not have many of. So, uh, disappointing news in the fact that uh, he has chosen to re-enter the portal. Uh, I'm pretty sure at this point, uh, probably best for all parties involved uh, to go their separate ways, make the best of uh, of an unfortunate situation, and um, see what goes through there. Dickerson's been a, a, a very good player when healthy, uh, but he's he's been exceptionally injured. And I uh, mentioned this on the past podcast, and I've mentioned this previously, you measure Landon Dickerson's health in in quarters. Uh, he may be able to string together uh, five or six quarters of health, and then you're missing him for the next five or six games historically. So uh, not the career that uh, anybody would have hoped for uh, when he originally signed with Florida State. Um, I wish him my best. just doesn't appear to be a, a situation that's going to see him uh, play a whole lot more football uh, in Tallahassee. This does bring into, um, let's see, brings into focus even more uh, a, a very disappointing um, addition to your offensive line from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, this is something that that Bud and I have spoken of and and an area where I think there's very legitimate criticism uh, of Willie Taggart. He needed to do a better job of uh, identifying and adding uh, able bodies to the offensive line uh, last year really needed to go and find three kids that were either able-bodied JUCOs or able-bodied uh, transfers. And I think you have one in the NIU kid. Uh, the JUCO prospect uh, was uh, was a little bit skeptical of at the time, and certainly there were some red flags there. But you had to um, you had to fill the roster any way possible. And early indications are that. Uh, your JUCO transfer something that uh, you may not be able to exactly plug and play. I'll put it that way. So some real concerns about the offensive line. Nothing new for uh, this program, but another pretty disappointing development. So we'll continue to update you with any Landon Dickerson information as it becomes available. Um, but that is what the most recent development is and the most meaningful development uh, as far as the Florida State uh, football roster, we had uh, we had planned on speaking about Virginia today, and uh, I will look forward to uh, Bud returning, and we can uh, have a broader, more just a better look at uh, what that game looks like. It's Florida State's uh, second game of the year, and it's something that, unfortunately, I think the fan base. And I'm not trying to be. Uh, not trying to be negative Nancy here, but I think the fan base kind of just assumes uh, that Florida State is going to uh, exit its first three games. Excuse me, it's, uh, it's not their second game. It's the third game uh, with Louisiana Monroe wedged between uh, the Boise State opener and Jacksonville. Yeah, I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic here, but I think there's just as good of a chance that you leave those first games at 1-2 and two, uh, as there is that you leave it at 2-1. Uh, and one. I will be perfectly honest with you guys. The Boise State game is uh, settling up to have a level of importance to it that um, makes me kind of uncomfortable. 
it is wild to think how impactful and influential uh, that game, that opener, will be. And openers are just hard things to judge. Hard to know how much uh, focus you're going to get out of kids over the course of an off season. How prepared they're going to be out of the gate. Uh, that is just a uh, you know you never know what you're going to fully get once you uh, once you kind of go in and, and start facing. Uh, facing real opponents and uh i've started to use a bunch of uh analogies that are historically tied to war and that's uh something that i think people far too frequently pair with sports or i'll i'll stay away with uh from but when when the games start to matter uh and the plays start to matter you never really know what you're going to get from a new roster and to have an opener uh tied to that much importance to it as far as the job prospectuses of your head coach and how the fan base views him and how the fan base views the success of a, a general year is uh look there's a there's an awful lot riding on uh on how the events of uh, august 31st uh, play out and whether or not florida state's able to uh able to wake up on september 1st and and see themselves with a, a record of either one or oh and are oh and one and uh, that's something that we are going to continue to talk about as a uh, podcast we never try to put too much importance into any singular game uh but that is one that uh, just over the over the course of the last week whether it be with uh exceptionally uh impactful boosters or just kind of the common uh you know joe fan uh, if you will, has just emerged to me uh, as to how wildly important that game is. And that's uh, unfortunate because that's not uh, really the what you want out of an opener, certainly not what you want out of an opener uh, for a head coach as he uh, begins his second year. So uh, before we fully turn our attention to uh, to the Cavaliers and Bronco Mendenhall, we'll uh, mention, as always, our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group and Madison Social and the uh, tailgate that they are doing for a uh, previously referenced Boise State game. Uh, you can go to fsujackstailgate.com. Again, that's fsujaxtailgate.com and find out additional information. But uh, look, we're ever so fortunate to be able to pair with, uh, with Matt and his team at For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, they are absolute hospitality uh, industry professionals and uh, do a fantastic job at anything that they uh, put their mind to or, or focus on. And not only do they do a great job of it, they normally do so with a, a decent amount of creativity and uh, I don't know if flair is exactly the perfect term, but uh, uh, it's not, not necessarily your standard operation ever with them. Uh, so going to have a great time uh, at, at said tailgate. It's uh, basically 27000 square feet of uh, air-conditioned awesomeness and uh, very much look forward to what those guys end up uh, putting their heads together as far as some uh, games, activities, and and things that uh, we can all kind of engage in. Uh, One said uh, aspect of engagement uh, that I'm not sure I'd label as a a game uh, but more an activity is that the Nolcast will have some kind of of live podcast or get-together uh, there that has been slightly different than our historical meet and greets, uh, something that Bud and I are still 
uh, working on as far as putting the uh, all of the finishing touches on, but uh, would encourage anybody that is making their way to the Boise State game to visit the FSU Jacks tailgate. Uh, .com website and uh, plan accordingly. Uh, option number one includes a tailgate entrance and two drinks. That is a, a $20 option. And option number two at the $25 uh, variety brings you uh, two drinks, tailgate entrance, and additionally a, a plate of food. So please do keep those guys in mind. We'd love to see you in Jacksonville at the end of August. And again, there will be uh, no better place to pregame or tailgate than uh, that of which uh, the the boys at Madison Social have uh, secured collectively for the fan base. So, uh, Bronco, Mendenhall, and the UVA Cavaliers. Uh, like I said previously, the third opponent on Florida State's schedule. And when uh, Bronco Mendenhall was ultimately hired in uh, kind of the 2015-2016 coaching carousel, I was... Uh, uh, this hire particularly piqued my interest. Uh, I went to college... In Virginia, and I uh, certainly have a lot of family ties to the state and the University of Virginia in general, and it's one of the programs that I kind of have always followed from afar. Uh, I thought Minden Hall was a, a very interesting hire, uh, potentially a, a, a very good hire. He's uh, a little bit of a different individual who has experience working with a little bit of a different institution. Uh, I'm mainly referencing his time at BYU when it's just not like really any other job when you when you sign uh, you know half of your class or 20% of your class isn't going to show up for another 2 years or so uh, because they have a an LDS mission to follow through on it's just not your typical college football job and it's certainly not your uh, typical job of roster management i'm not uh, in any way shape or form trying to compare the the challenges that you may face at UVA to that of uh, of trying to build a roster and, and work around uh, something like the the two year uh, LDS missions, but Virginia is not you know you're running the mill football factory. It's a, a little bit of a different situation, and kind of they needed to bring in somebody like Mendenhall, who uh, had certainly had a d- documented track record of success, but uh, m- you know maybe had a documented track record of success that. Uh, that was not at uh, at an SEC football factory or, or an institution that uh, is more easily uh, had success or an institution where their uh, model and approach to football is, is maybe more lends itself to success. Uh, Virginia is a, you know, it's a <clears throat> little bit of a challenging place because you do have some uh, academic requirements that I think are probably built up a little bit more in people's mind uh, when it comes to the the football requirements uh, than than maybe should be but it is it can be a challenge uh, to keep kids in Virginia once you get them there and Virginia is a look Virginia is one of the best institutions in the country it's a fantastic place to go and get a degree and uh, it's you know not necessarily a place where the culture there. Uh, pairs with having uh, major big-time D1 college football. So Mendenhall has done a very good job of kind of of stripping the bones of the program and then building it back uh, rather quickly. His first year in 2016, he went 2-6. In 2017, saw some some decent improvement uh, with a 6-7 record, and then last year they put together an 8-5 record uh, with a 
a little bit of a stumble at the end uh, to what otherwise could have been a really impressive year, uh, but they rebounded and had a uh, pretty nice little end of the year with a, a bowl game and has a bowl game win, excuse me, they beat South Carolina uh, pretty handily in the Belk Bowl, and they kind of have the collective footing of the UVA program uh, in as solid a place as they have in a in an awful long time. Um, Minden Hall made uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a national story last year when he was uh, kind of unrepentantly critical of his own roster, saying, "I think I don't remember the exact the exact number, but I think he said he only had twenty five, twenty seven uh, your real ACC level players." That's an interesting thing to say about your own roster, but it may not have necessarily been a falsehood. Uh, what will be very interesting is is kind of to see if Mendenhall continues to have the same success where he was working with kind of raw and low three stars, turning those guys into um, into all conference uh, players. A good example is. Uh, Joey Blunt was a kid last year, a safety for them, that was a three-star prospect, barely a three-star prospect at that, coming out of high school. Uh, second team, all ACC, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, linebacker Chris Peace was, a, again, a kid that was uh, you know, barely a two-star, and he ended up earning, uh, I think he was either second or third team, all ACC last year. So uh, they've done a really good job of developing kid, uh, even the even the Juan Thorn- Thornhill kid, uh, another kind of mid-level three-star prospect um, that ended up having uh, a really impressive year last year, uh, made a decent amount of, uh, of plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage, which is always interesting to see from a safety, and uh, Thornhill developed into a second-round draft pick. So um, if they continue to work off the... The model that they had of having, you know, turning raw and uh, kind of unpolished two and three star kids into very meaningful contributors, all conference types. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how Mendenhall uh, transitions into uh, into having better players on the roster. Now, look, uh, Virginia is never going to um, Virginia is never going to sign like a top three class or something like that. Uh, but they did sign what was a marked improvement in the level of talent uh, that historically has been brought in. I think they signed a class that finished uh, in the top 30, top 35 last year, um, somewhere around 6th or 7th in the conference overall. Uh, so it's been, you know, it's, it's been a really kind of interesting transition for Mendenhall to make and certainly has that program a trajectory at, at a different place than it has been in quite a while. And uh, if they can find solid footing, there's no reason to think that they, um, I don't know that they're necessarily going to challenge for the Coastal with consistency, but uh, Virginia is in a much bigger place to have a, a, a much larger impact uh, on the Coastal side of things than they have in a uh, in an awful long time. So, uh, a program to watch. One interesting thing about Mendenhall, and uh, one of the few reservations that I would have had about him was that uh, he had a great track record of success, and as I mentioned, it had a track record of success at places that weren't necessarily uh, football factories, but he, he didn't really have a ton of success, excuse me, he didn't really have a ton of experience coaching on this side of the country. Almost, I think, 
everything other than a, a stop that he had in the late 90s as a Louisiana Tech's defensive back coach had basically been uh, west of the Rocky Mountains, or at least in the, the mountain standard time zone. So you didn't really know how a guy would uh, would recruit, uh, would uh, just settle into life on the East Coast, a little bit of a different situation uh, than than living out west, and and also it's a, a little bit of a different prospect uh, that you recruit. But Mendenhall has uh, has seemingly made the transition uh, quite well. Uh, as I mentioned, the class that he signed last year uh, was as good as uh, as Virginia had signed in in quite a long time, and uh, it'll be kind of the guy, kind of the class that really uh, marks the transition of the program if they. Uh, go on and have a, you know, if they go on and uh, Mendenhall really kind of finds footing there, and uh, if they continue to grow as a as a program in general. So uh, Virginia's got a little bit of a challenging schedule this year. Road trips to Pitt, Notre Dame, and Miami uh, could kind of temper some of the optimism that I've mentioned about uh, when it comes to possibly participating in the you know the coastal division race um but it's still a a program that's uh that's made what appears to be a a pretty significant turn uh led by an awful lot of uh coaching uh, veterans uh mendenhall somebody i mentioned but his coordinator is uh somebody that's been with him both uh at byu and previous stops uh robert and is a guy that's been in the coaching industry for 35 years and uh has you know not necessarily going to be the the most youthful face when it comes to the recruiting trail but uh, a ton of knowledge and uh, a guy that he can really kind of turn the offensive over to and uh, let him work with the pieces that he has the majority of the offense offense will run through Bryce Perkins uh Perkins is the uh Quarterback for UVA, who really kind of uh, started to emerge last year, threw for twenty six thousand, twenty six thousand, excuse me, twenty six hundred yards. And uh, once you backed um, sacks out of his rushing numbers, uh, went north of uh, eleven hundred yards. So uh, very much kind of a dual threat uh, quarterback, and uh, not necessarily uh, the most explosive individual, but a, a really solid. Uh, contributor who's uh, very much kind of gives the offense uh, a massive piece to work around. Uh, PK Kerr is a uh, is a running back who they will feature uh, a nice player, but uh, not necessarily somebody that I think in time they could move make an improvement upon uh, as far as overall talent level. Uh, they do have a fairly interesting slot prospect in Tavares Kelly who uh, is somebody that we'll probably mention more as we approach the uh, the Virginia game when it comes to a, a, an individual and more of a detailed uh, breakdown. Uh, and uh, like I said previously, I'm, I'm not going to try to do the entirety of, uh, of this Virginia preview. We'll circle back to it at some point in time, uh, get Bud's opinion. Bud does a, a great job kind of... Uh, uh, gathering, processing, and then uh, regurgitating information, and uh, it's always a, a great resource at any time, but particularly when looking over a roster and giving a better idea as to some of these kids' backstories and what other options they had and maybe how they project uh, at each individual university. Uh, 
when you do think of UVA and, and Bronco Mendenhall, uh, you think of really solid, tough-nosed defense. Mendenhall has been, I don't know that he's had an exceptional defense everywhere he's went, but he certainly had a really good one and a, a very good one when you consider the pieces that he's historically had to work with. Uh, as either head coach or coordinator, his BYU defense is ranked uh, in the de- defense of S&P in the top 30 uh, seven times in 13 years, and uh, his last five units uh, enjoyed an average ranking of, uh, of 28, peaking as high as nine in the 2012 year, uh, 2012 season. So uh, Mendenhall is a defensive expert, does a great job of getting the most out of the pieces of the roster that he has to work with. Uh, and at UVA, I think he has done and possibly will continue to do uh, a great job of, uh, of building the most competitive roster that's possible uh, at a school like that, at a school that has uh, great facilities. It's uh, uh, one of my favorite campuses uh, in the world. It's a beautiful place to go visit. It's an exceptional place to go get an education, uh, but it's not really a, uh, a D1 major uh, football powerhouse, uh, both uh, with expectations and kind of the broader culture that uh, surrounds the institution uh, and the program in general. So, uh, like I said, love to get Bud back for numerous reasons, and the Virginia Cavaliers are a subject matter that uh, that we will continue to look at throughout the course of the summer. Uh, want to thank our friends at Resolution Home Loans. Uh, when we uh, started working with Resolution, I'll be perfectly honest with you I wasn't uh, I just wasn't sure about working with a mortgage company not because I didn't uh, have faith in in Chad and and those guys but it's it's just a different level when you refer and recommend um, to people a, a service uh, at that point in time in their lives it's a real big deal and uh, I'll be honest with you if you guys message me <laughs> I'm not looking to uh, do this 10 times or certainly not a hundred times over but if you guys message me, and tell me that you are wildly disappointed in the bottle of hot sauce that I recommended. I don't think you will be, uh, but I'll probably Venmo you $2 or something like that. That's fine. I'm not too worried if you don't uh, love Louisiana hot sauce. Not really out of, uh, of a whole lot when it comes to uh, what's required to experience uh, <laughs> experience a little bit more spicier food. Uh, it is an issue if we recommend somebody and they don't have a great experience when it comes uh, to working with a mortgage company. And uh, that's never been the case with Resolution Home Loans. Chad and Shannon are two fantastic individuals. Uh, Shannon is a an absolute hustler, uh, somebody that will be with you through every step of the process. Uh, is a is somebody that uh, works absolutely works outworks everybody in the room, and uh, will do everything possible to make this experience for you um, as positive, as simple, and as easy to go through. Uh, with with as uh, beneficial results as possible. Uh, not that I'm in the interest of disclosing our sponsorship details, but I will tell you that uh, that Bud chose to work with Resolution Home Loans entirely out of our um, our deal with them, uh, and by that I mean outside of it. That wasn't part of it. It was a choice he made, a choice he could have made to work with anybody, and, and chose to work with Shannon and Chad. Uh, because of the experiences that uh, that they've had with a lot of our other listeners, and, and Bud and Maggie 
went through that process fantastically well, settled into a new home, and like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, have a lot of big things on their own horizon. So uh, thank you to Resolution Home Loans, uh, Chad, Shannon, uh, everybody involved in that team, and uh, would recommend that people go to fsuhomeloans.com to find out more about Resolution. So, uh, folks, it's a little bit of a different NOLCast, uh, a little bit disjointed. Got a bunch of listener questions here in front of me that, quite honestly, I'm just going to uh, press pause on, and uh, Bud and I will address those in the near future. So, so a shorter podcast than that of what you have become familiar with, but just wanted to put something out there for you guys as we end the month of May. Uh, like I said, uh, best wishes, thoughts uh, with uh, Bud and Maggie, and uh, look forward to hearing exciting news from them, and uh, look forward to joining you guys with a new NOLCast uh, sometime in the next week or so. Thank you, as always, for your listenership, your support, and uh, if you feel comfortable, if you could provide us with a uh, five-star review on iTunes, it is uh, silly how important those things are, but uh, they really do matter when it comes to putting the podcast in front of new people and uh, the importance that uh, some in the sponsorship world uh, tend to uh, tend to place on ratings in general. So thank you. Look forward to talking to you soon. Till next time. <laughs>